the Holy Spirit. We're going to read the text, and uh, as we do, uh, I want to encourage you to uh, read along. Ephesians chapter 5, beginning here in verse 15. Look carefully, then, how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Holy Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ, okay? So uh, uh, I've titled today's message, A Holy Spirit With, In, and Filling Us, okay? Last week we talked about the person of the Holy Spirit. Today I want to talk about the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives. So let's pray. Father, thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you that your love, it, it transcends all of time. You made a plan to rescue and redeem us. We are thankful for that. Holy Spirit, we invite you to move in our lives. I pray that you would fill me, that today would be just uh, an overflow of your intent and of the word, Lord. We thank you, and we ask this in your mighty name. Amen. Amen. So, you can be seated Some things are very difficult to describe, and I'm learning this more and more kind of acutely as my kids are getting older, all right? There are some things that I know that I know that I know, right? Um, Maybe you you can, you know, think for a moment about some things you just know that you know, you know what I'm saying? I mean, a really simple one would be like if I stop breathing, like, if I hold my breath, like, there's going to be some problems, right? And my body's going to take over and automatically start breathing after a moment. And the only way to overcome that, then, is to block the airway. Like, like I know that I know I require oxygen. We get that one at a very young age. But there are a lot of other things that take some time to get a hold of. I think one of those is love. Uh, love is a really difficult thing for me to get up and just say, this is love. And this is one of the reasons why... Like when I hear a, uh, a, you know, a 13-year-old pop artist singing about love, I laugh, right? I think to myself, like, they just have no clue, right? And, and so I'm, I'm the, the skeptic, the pessimist. I'm the guy immediately that's like, I'm not listening to this, right? I don't care if it is charting number one and the lyrics resonate with me. Like I think to myself, this is a kid and love is not something that they're comprehending, right? And then I always get kickback. You don't know people's life experiences, blah, 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 blah. I, listen, I'm, I'm just going to tell you, like, love is not something that a 13-year-old, a 15-year-old, a 20-year-old, a 30-year-old, a 42-year-old can sum up. Love is something that is so complicated and deep, and the Scripture spends so much time talking about love and trying to help us understand. But really, more than anything, instead of painting a picture about love, what the Scripture does is it gives us direction on how we are to act 
within the bounds of love, right? And why is that? Because it's hard to get that understanding about love, right? But we can know some of the things that are right and some of the things that are wrong. And the reason I say that I become more acutely aware of this is that, you know, as my kids are getting older and the conversation around love is kind of changing, right? Uh, from some of that, ew, gross, boys and girls, you know, to like, you know, like, oh, well, this might be interesting. Um, uh, those are not their words. Uh, but... <laughs> But, but as, as you try to tell them, like, like, uh, like, like how, do you, how, how love works and uh, the various, you know, kind of, some of it's just awkward to even talk about, like, like passion and intimacy and, and those, those forms of love, uh, it's hard to say, you know, exactly when it's going to happen and what it's going to look like. And so you, you try to, and I was talking with Jim McLean, one of our elders, even yesterday about this, that you try to say, hey... Um, there is this, the best way I can put it is there's this light switch, right? Where, where all of a sudden something new will burn inside of you, right? And it will be really hard to control. And, uh, and you try to tell somebody that, that hasn't experienced that, right? And they look at you like, no, I've totally got control. Like, what are you talking about? Like, uh, it's all good here, right? And the problem is, is that if you're in an unsafe environment, when that switch fires, right, you're really faced with some, some, some issues. And so part of the self-control conversation that we have is, is environment, you know, what, where are you, what are you doing, so that when that begins to happen, uh, you're able to maintain self-control. Okay, so that's just a little side. I'm trying to give you this understanding, like, like, like hopefully you're getting, like, this is a complicated conversation. It's not something that we just sum up. The Holy Spirit and the conversation of how the Holy Spirit engages with us is the same. I can talk about a relationship with God. I can talk about the being filled with the Holy Spirit, interacting with the Holy Spirit. And at the end of the day, like uh, for some people who have not encountered that, right, it's just not going to make a lot of sense. And I, I want to tell you, that's okay. That's okay. I'm going to do the best that I can and hopefully give you some tools so that you'll encounter, you can, you can encounter the Holy Spirit, okay? So last week I gave you three basic categories that I uh, kind of see exist when, uh, in the way that people view the Holy Spirit. Basic categories. The first is a, uh, you know, kind of a uh, liturgical term, and that's the cessationist. Uh, it gets used pretty frequently, and these are people who believe that much, if not all, of the work of the Holy Spirit has ceased, uh, that the Holy Spirit is not needed in the same way that it was during the early church, so uh, they would consider themselves cessationists. And then I, these next two terms I kind of made up, the, the sensationist, this is the person who is, uh, you know, they're, they're in it for the experience, the emotion, you haven't had church if the Holy Spirit hasn't, you know, laid everybody on the floor or everybody's not weeping or everybody's not running in circles. I'll tell you, like, there were moments in my life in church where I was in this camp, and uh, I, I told my wife, uh, and actually we were dating at the time, and we'd be in church, and I would think there was always, there was always the, the, the one or two people, right, that kind of fired that thing off where everybody, like, he was, they were the hype man, you know what I'm saying? And I used to think to myself, like, I would be sitting there staring at them, thinking, you stay seated. Don't you dare get up. Don't you dare. I would be so distracted during service because I knew that the moment they got up, they were going to start doing something, and then it was going to lead everybody to doing something. And I 
was trying to listen to what was being taught or I was trying to engage in worship. And for me, it was a distraction, you know, and maybe it wasn't for everybody else. But I think that some people, that the sensation of the Holy Spirit kind of is, is the camp they sit in. And then uh, a concessionist is another term that I, I kind of coined. I looked these up and they actually mean something different than what I'm trying to make them mean right here. But hopefully you get the point. That This is the person who's like, well, you know, I view the Holy Spirit this way. You view the Holy Spirit that way. Can't we all just get along? And they just kind of say, we'll make the Holy Spirit whatever we want it to be, okay? And I think that all of these are really dangerous places to start at, okay? I think they're probably even dangerous places to end at. Um, having a right understanding of Scripture uh, is going to really create a, uh, a view of the Holy Spirit that is just different than probably what most of the time we've been taught. And even this week, uh, you know, I've heard that in some of the community groups that the conversation has been like, this is just different than what I've ever heard. This is different than what I'm used to. And that's why I'm trying to just make sure it's biblically based. So uh, I'll, I'll repeat from last week, Jesus never refers to the Holy Spirit as it, okay? So the Holy Spirit is a person, all right? Every time that we see reference to the Holy Spirit, it, it, the Holy Spirit is referred to as a person, and the pronouns that are used are he and him, all right? This is really uh, integral in the uh, picture of the doctrine of the Trinity, which we will be getting to in a few months. We're going to really try to unpack that. It's another one of those mysteries that I'm only going to be able to do so good at, but giving us some language around it. Uh, the Holy Spirit is a part of the way, uh, or is a person of God, okay? So, we establish that knowing who the Holy Spirit is, it will equip us for understanding what He does, right? So, when we see the, the evidence of the Holy Spirit at work, if we don't understand who He is, then we can begin to be confused, we may not have clear understanding, and then that, that leads some people to say, well, that looks fun, I'll run into it. Some say, that's scary, I'll run away from it, right? But if we understand who the Holy Spirit is, okay, then we will be able to understand when the Holy Spirit is moving exactly what is happening, okay? It will also help us to understand when the Holy Spirit is not moving and people are acting out of emotion. That can absolutely happen, okay? All right, so uh, John chapter 14, we talked about this last week. We looked at 14, 15, and 16 primarily. But verse 15, Jesus says this. Remember, this is his last, last meal with uh, his disciples. And I think that if you're going to share one last meal with the people that have followed you, love you, that you care about, like you're just gonna, you're gonna say the most important things, right? You're gonna get the most important things in your heart out. And he says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments, and uh, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, right? So another helper, this kind of clues us into the fact that the Holy Spirit is for us what Jesus was for the disciples, okay? So, so, so we look at this interaction, Jesus came and modeled this thing for these disciples, they grew into the apostles, and the Holy Spirit, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit then becomes the person that does that role in our lives, right? So another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you, 
okay? So the first thing I want to say, if you're taking notes, you can write these things down. They might help you going back and doing some research of your own, is that the Holy Spirit is with everyone. The Holy Spirit is with everyone. Believers, unbelievers, the Holy Spirit is with each and every living human, human being on this planet. John 15, verse 26. But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. So he is with everyone for what purpose? The purpose is to bear witness about Jesus right? Why, is, why does that matter? Because it is the acceptance of Jesus as Lord and Savior, belief in the cross, the, the death, burial, resurrection. Those are tenets of not just the faith, but of salvation. So the Holy Spirit is testifying to the unbeliever. So if we look specifically at the unbeliever, the Holy Spirit is there and is constantly in a position of testifying to the unbeliever. And I want to say this, only the Holy Spirit can draw you to God. I, this is one of the reasons why, you know, we do church the way that we do. And um, at the end of service, I don't try to uh, create an altar experience, right? The altars are open. We, we, we call these the altars. This is a, a place where people can come forward. We do prayer in the back. We give you an opportunity to, to interact with that. But, but I don't try to, to create this experience where it's like, come on, you've got to come, right? Because at the end of the day, if I, if I manipulate you to this place, then it's not genuine and authentic and nothing has really changed. But if the Holy Spirit is at work drawing then it is, then it becomes forever. It becomes eternal. It becomes life-changing, right? So, so only the Holy Spirit can draw you to God and only the Holy Spirit can convict you. Only the Holy Spirit can bring conviction in your life. Look here in John 16, verse 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper, he's already established, that's going to be the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Look here in verse 8. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer and then concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. So only the Holy Spirit can convict you. Look here in verse 8. I want to focus in on how that conviction works, right? He will convict the world concerning sin, all right? So the Holy Spirit does not make exemptions for sin. This is really important. The Holy Spirit's work is not to say, well, the, what, the thing that you're doing that dishonors God, the way that God created, the way that God intended, it's going to be okay. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to handle that for you. That is not what the Holy Spirit is. What the Holy Spirit is at work doing is bringing conviction that would create change in your life. All right? So the Holy Spirit is not the one that just, in the sense of covers sin, right, so that you can keep sinning. Instead, He brings conviction so that you will change the way that you live. More importantly, so that you will acknowledge and become aware of the sin in your life. 
This is really important. So uh, Matthew chapter 24, and Jesus answered them, see that no one leads you astray for many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ and they will lead many astray. Anyone justifying sin in the name of Christ is a liar leading others astray. Bottom line, when people come out and pastors, you know, this is, this is a really popular message. I kind of hammer it. I feel like every week because I just keep seeing it in content online that there is just, there are pastors and church leaders who are constantly using this language. Well, Jesus is okay with this and Jesus is, Jesus is love. And because Jesus is love, this is what this looks like. Listen, if, if, if it is sin, right? Okay? The Holy Spirit is going to bring conviction not to say, well, Jesus gets it. No, that's not what's going to happen. The Holy Spirit's going to bring conviction so that you will acknowledge your need for help, repentance, and ultimately life change. So the Holy Spirit brings conviction for sin. All right? Look here in John chapter 5, verse 43. He says, I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? Jesus says, look, there will be those that will come. They'll say their own message. They'll be using their name. Hey, this is a word from so-and-so. Oh, man, I've got to hear it, right? And you'll receive that. But then when somebody gets up and says, let me tell you what Jesus said within Scripture, the go-to as of right now culturally is to, "Ah, I don't know if I really believe everything in Scripture, right? Well, Jesus is the one that says this. Well, you know, maybe he did, maybe he didn't, but this person that I like to listen to said this, and there's a contradiction, but you'll receive the contradiction. Why is that? Well, the reason is, is because instead of bringing conviction for sin, it justifies actions. And we should not look for justification of our sins. We want justification of our souls, right? I don't want justification for the way that I act. I want justification to be in the presence of God. And that's going to require me being honest. Like, I'm just going to have to get real and say, like, man, this is a mess in my life, and I need Jesus. I am a sinner. So the Holy Spirit testifies that sin exists in us. Now, what do we do for those who live in sin and pervert the gospel to justify their lifestyle? And this is not a new thing. We've ta- we talked about this last week. We've laid out some, you know, a few historical instances where people kind of perverted the gospel and, and how the church rallied uh, against that. Uh, modern culture right now is to have this mindset of to each their own, like, well, just let them do their own thing. And so what we see is we see this increasing mentality, especially in what we would consider to be like modern societies uh, to, to kind of justify sin. And so uh, you, we have loved ones probably, right, who are living in sin and still trying to cling on to the fact that, well, you know, I love Jesus and the gospel's this. And, and, and then what comes from that is, well, the Bible actually says this, and this word means this. And if you Google this, this is what you find. And there's just an, an, an abandoning of what we would consider to be like uh, 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 historical understanding, right? And I, I got to tell you something, and I, I'm going to be completely honest, and uh, my fear for being completely honest is that uh, somebody it might kind of push them over the edge, uh, but I think that you need to have a real understanding for really where my heart is on this. I, I got to tell you, like, I consider myself to be pretty logical, right? So when, I, when I'm doing problem solving, like, 
I'm looking at all the variables to draw a conclusion. And I got to tell you that if the scripture is not God's word, and yet claims to be God's word, and that historically the church has held it to be God's word, and all of a sudden we've come to this place of enlightenment where we realize it's really just man's interactions with God filled with their own biases and prejudices. I, I got to tell you, I can't believe in that God. I, I couldn't do it. Like, I, I, I feel like it's an invitation to the crazy farm right? Like, like total insanity. You're asking me to, you want me to come to the, to the asylum. And I'm going, no, I don't, I, I don't like what I see there. So I'll just stay out here, right? Um, I believe that the scriptures are God's word, right? I believe that the Holy Spirit was at work breathing through individuals. They were writing what God would have them to write. They believed it. They looked at the scriptures that came before as being authoritative. I believe that they're authoritative. And when I have people, and I want to just get honest, like, like when it's people that I'm close to, people that I've done ministry with, people that I've done life with, and they begin to pervert the gospel to justify a lifestyle, it's really hard for me, right? I, I, could, I can't accept it, not because I'm like intolerant in like this like not loving kind of way. I don't care if they say that. They can say that people have called me names my whole life, right? They call me four eyes. I don't have four eyes. I wear glasses, okay? All right? It's just a reality. So call me what you want, right? Okay? You can call me anything that you want. You aren't the judge of my heart, okay? Right? And so people will say, well, that's not tolerant, and that makes you a bigot or a racist or whatever the current, like, boom, that's you today. Great. Especially the last two years. Like, I'm, like, like, I, 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 there was a point where I was like, oh, man, you really think that? Now I'm like, get lost, okay, to some degree, right? If we can't be human beings and sit down and have a conversation and walk away working through things, then maybe this isn't healthy, right? Maybe that's why Scripture shows us apostles knocking the dust from their feet and being like, see you later. I got other places to go, right? Okay, I, I, I got to tell you, the only thing that you can do in this moment, because you cannot debate with, with, with this depravity, because you aren't the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit that does the work. And so as a pastor, like I'm having to come to grips with this. Like, like I can sit here and make all the arguments and I can lay out the, 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 the context and the textual analysis. It's not going to matter if they don't receive conviction of sin in their lives. And so the only thing I can do is pray that the Holy Spirit convicts them. So here's what, I'm, here's what I'm hoping that you'll do. You walk away, little note here, you can pray. If one of the, 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 the jobs, the roles of the Holy Spirit is to convict for sin, can I tell you, you can put words to that. Holy Spirit, I pray you bring conviction of sin in their lives. That's a really easy prayer for you right there. You're thinking, like, how do I pray for this? You can just pray. Holy Spirit, you do what you do. I'm praying for conviction. I'm praying that conviction of sin wrecks their life and draws them to Jesus because that's what they need. So encountering God results in acknowledgement of sin. Now, how do we know that, right? Like, how, where do we see that? Well, there's this picture in Isaiah, right, where Isaiah is one of the few people who goes up and, and kind of peers into the heavens, right, in the throne room of God. 
and when he, when he does, right, he doesn't, I, I heard this, I thought this was kind of funny, he doesn't go into the throne room of God, take notes and come back to be on, you know, Christian television and write a book so everybody will know what it's like in heaven, right? He enters into the throne room of God and says, woe is me, I am a man of unclean lips, right? Now, I just want you to think about this for a moment. Like, you are obviously enough of a person to be the prophet chosen by God for the day, right? You're walking in your calling, and God trusts you enough to bring you up so you can get a glimpse, right? And your response is, woe is me. It just makes me think to myself, like, how much more so? Like, would my response not be like, oh, God, let me high-five you, and, you know, let's go play some Halo. You know what I'm saying? Like, like, woe is me. I am a man of unclean lips. There is a response. What? My sin is a reality, right? And, and it, it, it separates me from God. John 16, verse 8. Let's go on to the next one. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning righteousness. What is righteousness in the Greek? It is equity, justification. Equity, another, one of those terms that kind of gets thrown around. The, the, the picture here of righteousness is that all things are made equal, right? Meaning not just equity of outcome in the sense that everybody gets the same thing, but that we are all sin-free in the process, right? Righteousness means that my sin is separated, okay? So look at this. The Holy Spirit does not make exemptions for sin. The Holy Spirit uh, does the work of covering sin, Okay, what do I mean by covering sin? The sin is a reality that I am aware of, and the Holy Spirit does the work of coming in and pulling that thing and bringing me to a state of righteousness. So in order for me to be in the presence of God, in order for me to step into eternity, I have to be righteous, okay? I have to be free of sin, and yet I am fully aware of the fact that I continually sin. I keep making mistakes. So there is some work that's happening where the Holy Spirit is making me understand that I've got to be righteous, and I can't do it apart from Him. I'm convicted of this, John 16, verse 8, and when He comes, He will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. So I, I, I may not be perfect, right, but I'm mostly good. This is the argument that many people make, right? Uh, you'll watch uh, street witnesses, pastors, whatever, they go out and they're a street evangelist. That's the term I'm looking for. And they go out on the street and they're like, you know, uh, if you were to die today, would you spend eternity in heaven or hell? And most people are like, oh, I'd totally go to heaven. Oh, yeah, why do you think you'd go to heaven? Because I'm mostly a good person, Right? Okay, and you think to yourself, oh, okay, well, I mean, that makes sense, right? They're a good person. Uh, this is what we call the righteousness scale, right? It's like there's a scale that exists that's like, oh, there's more good than there is bad. This is not a biblical concept, right? Okay, now, this is an, a, a concept within Islam that literally you will take all of your good deeds and all of your bad deeds and set them on a scale, and whichever way it goes, that'll be the determining factor for you in the end. But among the Christian faith, there is no righteousness scale. And so if you're thinking to yourself, well, I'm mostly a good person, you're, you're having a misunderstanding of what righteousness is. In fact, Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 5, verse 24, I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, these were the rule, the, 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 the rule followers, right? These were the people who, they had the law and they tried to do everything exactly how they were supposed to. He says, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. 
You will not enter the kingdom of heaven if you are living this righteousness based on, well, I do mostly good. Like, I try to follow all the rules. Like, that's not what's going to get you there. So encountering God results for sinning, okay? All right? I just want to make sure I'm, I'm, I'm stating this really clearly, okay? It is I acknowledge that I have sinned and thankfully... As I am working to be more holy, to be like Christ, the Holy Spirit is doing the work of cleansing and removing that sin from me that I might be able to spend eternity with him. Philippians chapter 3 verse 9, and be found in him. I'd love to have written just for time, but man, like there's like 10 verses right here. They're just like, ah, they're so great. You should go read them. And be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. So it's not from the law. It's not from like doing and being a good person, a, role, a rule obeyer, okay? It comes through faith in Christ. How do I have faith in Christ? Because the Holy Spirit's convicted me that I am a sinner and I need a Savior. So my faith in Christ does what? It's the righteousness from God that depends on faith. So I am trusting that, yes, I'm a sinner, and yes, I am convicted of my sin, and God is going to help me through this, right? The Holy Spirit is doing that work. So convict the world concerning judgment. Let's talk about this last form of conviction that the Holy Spirit does, right? So the Holy Spirit does not make exemptions for sin. The Holy Spirit does the work of covering sin, and the Holy Spirit reveals the coming judgment, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this. We've got a series coming up in several months where we're going to be talking about judgment and talking about uh, prophetic scriptures towards the, the last days. We're really excited about that. Uh, people always love to hear uh, what the Word has to say about it. But here's the reality. Jesus' death on the cross sealed the enemy's fate. It's done, okay? The price was paid. The enemy is going to pay his price now, Okay? Judgment is a reality that we must be mindful of, okay? Anytime that we start talking about judgment and there's, there's so much, uh, there are so many differing views and there's so much, such a misunderstanding around judgment that sometimes people assign God's judgment to every bad thing, you know what I'm saying? Uh, and then some people say, well, I don't believe God brings any judgment to the church today, okay? I don't believe there's any type of judgment. But but Jesus very clearly says there will be a conviction that comes from the Holy Spirit that there is a judgment, right? And so the reality is, is that I'm a sinner, right? I need to be righteous. And if I don't get that together when I stand at judgment, right, then I'm going to be separated from God for eternity. And I use that language, separated from God for eternity, because that is more important to me than heaven or hell. Being with the creator, being with the author, being with the, the lover, the one that cares so much about me is more important, right, than fire insurance. I want to be with him. I don't just want to escape hell. I want to be with him. Now, we said that the Holy Spirit is with everyone. This is the role of the Holy Spirit, okay? Secondly, the Holy Spirit is in believers, the Holy Spirit is in believers. John chapter 14, verse 17. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. 
He will be in you. So the Holy Spirit was with you as an unbeliever and is in you as a believer. Look at the difference here in this language from with to in. You're not a believer. The Holy Spirit is with you. You become a believer. The Holy Spirit is in you. And the best illustration I've seen for this is like this right here. This glass and this little pitcher of water, they are with one another right now. Okay? Right? But at the, at the moment that we allow the Holy Spirit to do the work of the Holy Spirit, right, the Holy Spirit moves from with to in. Now the Holy Spirit is in us, not with us. And, there, and there's a distinction here that, 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 that if we'll understand the person and then the role of the Holy Spirit, it'll change the way that we pray. It'll change the way that we view the world around us. Now, this is unique. Okay, when we're looking in Scripture, when we look at the Old Testament, this is not the type of language that was used. When we look at the New Testament, it is the type of language that is used. And there's a reason for that, and that is because we are in what is called the church age. Okay, so the world, Jesus, I mean, God knew the world would shift with the coming of the Messiah. He knew that things would change. And so the way that we interact with God has changed. And so we are currently in the church age. I'll be talking more about that when we get into our prophecy and end times uh, teaching. So in the Old Testament, we see a few times in which the Holy Spirit indwelled a person for a specific task. We also see the Holy Spirit leave. This is why when David enters, uh, uh, when, he, it becomes aware, when he becomes aware of the sin that he had interacted in, right? So he's slept with Bathsheba. He sent her husband off to be killed because she's pregnant. Like he's just done some really egregious things. And, and then he becomes aware of just how, how bad this is before the Lord. He, he makes this his prayer, Psalm 51, verse 11. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me right? So David had experienced the Holy Spirit in a very unique way that not everybody was getting to experience the Holy Spirit in that day. And he had seen some things that not everybody had experienced. In fact, not only did he know that the Holy Spirit had come upon him because he was the leader of the day, but he had also seen the Holy Spirit leave a leader. First Samuel chapter 16, now the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul and a harmful spirit from the Lord tormented him. Right? So he had seen the shift of what takes place when the Holy Spirit leaves, right? When you are in sin. And this is one of those reasons why when Jesus shows up, he says, man, David is, he, this is a man after God's own heart. Why? Because he longs to have the Holy Spirit be in him. It's an active part of his life. So he ends up sinning. He's convicted of sin. What does he do? Holy Spirit, stay with me. Why? Because upon the Holy Spirit leaving in his understanding was it opened you up to other things, right? So in the church age, I, I would make the argument that the Holy Spirit dwells permanently inside of believers. So we don't have this concern of the Holy Spirit coming and going that David had. We're in a different age. Things work slightly different. It's why we have the expanded text with the New Testament. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in you? Paul, writing to the church in Corinth, just like we've been kind of going through, right? We've been going through this very text. He says, do you not know what? That, it dwell, that, the, that he dwells in you. 
Not with you, not around you, but he's dwelling. It is his home. You are the home of the Holy Spirit if you are a believer. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, he uses this language again. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, right? Within you, whom you have from God. You are not your own. So this indwelling began at Pentecost as a baptism placing believers into the church. It's an indwelling that takes place. You become the temple, the home of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is in you, not with you. There's this, there's this, this, this identity shift that takes place. And when it happens, right, there is a placement that takes place bringing you into the church. Look here in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13. For in one spirit we were all baptized, what? Into one body. Jews are Greeks, slaves are free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. So the indwelling of the Holy Spirit is tethered to placement in the church, the body of Christ. We are the body of Christ. That is, that is our function, right? Some are hands, some are feet, right? We, we play different roles, but globally, we make up the church. And, and it, it just it, it confounds me that there are people who are so resistant to this, right? People will get saved by their own testimony, they'll say, yeah, I'm a believer, but I don't need the church. I don't have to have anything to do with the church. I can be saved and not be a part of the church. And yet we see just such strong biblical evidence that God's intent was that we would be in community among believers, that we would be a part of the church. And so running from the church, right, and saying, well, I, there's so many problems with the church, it, it kind of confuses me if you have come to the saving knowledge of Christ through the scriptures, right, and you would say, well, you know, I read my Bible at home. Well, if you're reading your Bible at home, then you're reading that you're a part of this church globally and that we are a community that is intended to impact the world. So the Holy Spirit is with everyone. The Holy Spirit is in believers and the Holy Spirit can fill believers. And this is the most important role of the Holy Spirit. So, so pay attention as we go through this last little section, okay? John chapter 7, verse 38, whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now, this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive, for as yet the Spirit had not been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. So there's a statement that's made here, right, about the role of the Holy Spirit, and John brings a little clarification and says he's speaking about something that hasn't yet come to pass, right? Okay, so this compels me to believe that the bare minimum for a believer is to have the Holy Spirit in them, but the goal is to be a conduit for the Holy Spirit, to be a conduit for the Holy Spirit. So as a believer, the Holy Spirit comes in you, right? The goal should be that we become a conduit of, of, of movement, right, of living waters. What does this look like? Well, it looks like this. If, if this is with and this is in, then this is what it looks like to be filled, okay? There's a, there's a movement that's taking place that's not me, right? It's the Holy Spirit that's actively, continuously moving. It's not me that's moving, it's the Holy Spirit. So let's, let's break this down for just a moment, right? What is this flow rivers, right? This, this word in the Greek, it's a torrent, a stream, a current. All of these, right, 
they, they, they speak to us of movement. When we think of a pond, when we think of a lake, it's a totally different environment than what we think of when we think of a river, when we think of something that has a current to it. So John 7, 38, what does it say? Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. There will be movement out of what? Out of his heart. What's the heart? This is pretty crazy when you look this one up. So the heart has all these different uses in the Greek, okay? One of them is the womb, the place where the uh, fetus is conceived and nourished until birth, okay? Uh, The innermost part of a man, the soul, heart as the seat of, of thought, feeling, and choice. So when they're saying that out of the heart comes these rivers right, of flowing water. There's this movement. What is it saying? It's saying out of this place where, where the best of who you are exists. The Holy Spirit comes in and indwells right there, and if you allow him to, he begins to push out of that place, out of the place that is at the deepest parts of who we are. Look here in Acts chapter 1, verse 6. This is as we're kind of stepping into Pentecost, right? The outpouring of the Holy Spirit. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom uh, to Israel? Uh, And and so look at what their concern is, right? Pentecost is going to happen pretty pretty soon, okay? This, This is promised helper. But their concern is here in the end times, okay? Man, that speaks to me. Because the moment anything weird happens in the world, I get text messages saying, do you think this is some type of biblical end times moment, right? So, so I'm not saying that to fault you. Like, that's a normal. These, these people walked with Jesus. They saw his death and his burial, and he's resurrected, standing there with them right now. And this is a natural inclination for believers is to ask the question, well, you know, what, what's happening in the last days? Now, he said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. So, they are not to know this, but Scripture, again in context, says to be watchful for it. So, being aware of the fact that there is a last day, right, that Jesus is coming, we're aware of this, okay? But he says, like, Like, you don't need to know the exact moment. Don't be consumed with that. And he goes on here in verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. He says that when, when, this this is what you need to be consumed with. Not is Jesus returning, are we in the last days, but, but am I Filled, right? Have I received power from the Holy Spirit? What is this word power? In the Greek, it is force. It is miraculous power. What does that sound like? Like a river. Like a river. So when the Holy Spirit comes on you, there's an indwelling, but when the Holy Spirit fills you and begins to, you begin to partner with the Holy Spirit in such a way, right? There is a power that comes upon you right? What does it do? It comes upon you. What is that, on or against? So as the Holy Spirit is doing this work, right, it's creating a resistance. You, you no longer, when it's down here, when it's down here, you can keep it from going anywhere. You have control over that. But when it comes upon you, there's a resistance. All of a sudden, you don't have the ability to stop it because there's not a lid that can stop it, and it's a force that is at work among you, okay? So the Holy Spirit is with you, then in you, 
and now the Holy Spirit can be upon you. With, in, and fill. With, in, and fill. So the Holy Spirit is a part of everyone's life all around the world, regardless of their faith, regardless of their background. The Holy Spirit is actively at work in the lives of every single human being, but has a specific role depending on where they are in their walk, their faith, their maturity. What does he say? He says that you will be my witnesses, right? So what is a witness? This is one who testifies. This is the, this is the, this is the bottleneck for us as believers, this is the bottleneck, and, and the world has created this narrative like, well, don't talk about your faith because it's offensive. And then we look at ourselves, and many of us are not natural extroverts ready to go and meet everybody, right? I'm not a natural extrovert. My wife is a natural extrovert, and, and she will go and talk to anybody, and, I, and she'll say, come on, let's go talk to them. I'm like, I don't, what am I going to talk about? And she says, go ask them where they got their hair done. I'm like, why would I ask them where they got their hair done? And she goes, because it's interesting. I'm like, no, it's not. I don't care where you got your hair done at. You know what I'm saying? But, but she cares where you got your hair done at. So if she asks you where you got your hair done at, she genuinely cares. She's always looking for the next best hair thing, I guess. Um, but she's a natural extrovert, right? I, in order to do what God's called me to do, I need to step outside of my own comfort zone okay? Because I would be hunkered down in a garage making things all the time. I love to build and make like that. I would, I, I, I kind of joke, uh, but I, if I could develop and build a bat cave, like I would just be very fulfilled, I think, right? <laughs> but in my relationship with God, I would be starved, okay? I would be starved. And any time that I have not been obedient unto God, I have felt that hunger and that starving because I need that overflow in my life. So, Look, this happens to Peter. Peter denies Christ. He denies knowing him. He has walked with him. He's been with him. He's promised, oh, Jesus, you don't have to worry about this, buddy. They come at you. I'm going to be there. I'm your best man. You have nothing to worry about. But then all of a sudden, people are like, hey, you're a follower of Christ. He's like, I don't know the guy. And, and then on the third time, right, that he denies it, he uses, it says that he swore. He uses profanity, right? Because that's just not something that a follower of Christ would do. So he's shutting down the conversation, right? He's using language that will make them stop coming up. And then he cuts over and he sees Jesus staring at him like, yeah, you said you wouldn't do that. You just did it. And conviction happens, right? Now, watch what happens, though. When he, so he was on his own. Holy Spirit pours out in Acts chapter 2. He is at a point of not just being in, but being overflowing. We know this. And watch what happens in chapter 2, verse 14 of Acts. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. Peter has the Holy Spirit upon him and is a witness and is a witness. He is a witness now. And what happens in that moment? The man that denied Christ when the Holy Spirit wasn't an overflow in his life now is, is the one that God uses to establish the church. 2,000 men added to their numbers that day, and they went home, and the Lord added to their numbers daily. What was happening? The Holy Spirit was doing a work. Peter wasn't doing a work. Peter was just a vessel, a conduit, willing to be filled and overflowed. And I'm telling you right now, you think to yourself, like, I don't know what good I am. I don't know what my purpose is. I don't know how I connect. Like, revelation for your life right now. Allow the Holy Spirit to be an overflow in your life, and you don't have to worry about it. You will have the boldness to testify and the words to say. So he says, you are baptized in the Holy Spirit once, right? So you're baptized, you're placed into the body, 
but filled with the Holy Spirit repeatedly. What does that look like? Look here in Acts chapter 2, right? So you'll see in Scripture, go and look this up, baptism, the Holy Spirit coming in you, that happens one time. You don't see that happening over and over in a person's life. But what you do see here, Acts chapter 2 verse 4, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues and the Spirit gave, as the Spirit gave them utterance. And look here in chapter 4. And then, and when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak uh, the word of God with boldness. So what happens? These, these, this group of people, these believers, Holy Spirit touches them, there becomes an indwelling, and then there is an overflow, and then there's another moment where the Holy Spirit's ready to do a work, and because they're willing vessels, the Holy Spirit fills again, and the Holy Spirit fills again. And so the Holy Spirit just keeps doing this, right? It just keeps being an overflow, right? And then it'll stop, and, and they'll go home and eat dinner and talk about what happened, and then the next day they're, share, they're ready to share the gospel. Somebody needs, man, there's another feeling of the whole, filling of the Holy Spirit. It just keeps coming. It just keeps coming. Why? Because they're willing to allow it to happen. And here's what I want to say is that we should ask to be filled with the Holy Spirit, right? We're identifying the Holy Spirit as a person, okay? And for some, that's like this really... It's like, okay, I haven't really thought about the Holy Spirit this way. So the Holy Spirit is a person. Uh, he is actively at work among us. And here's what the Scripture says. The Holy, Spirit, the Holy Spirit comes and indwells inside of us as believers. The next thing that we need to do to have the boldness that's needed to share the gospel, to turn the tide so that the people around us are not running from God, living in perverted gospels, but instead are loving Jesus, right? We need the boldness. We need the filling of the Holy Spirit. We have the indwelling. We need the filling of the Holy Spirit. Now, let's go back to Ephesians 5. I want to tie a point together for you as I close here. Ephesians 5, we read through this at the beginning, verse 18, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Now, this struck me as odd, right? Um, thinking about the Holy Spirit and the connection here. He says, don't he says, don't be drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. And it reminded me in Acts chapter 2, when Peter gets up with boldness, that he says, for these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. Why, what is the correlation, right, that we see here that, uh, uh, that's being written here in Acts and then being written in Ephesians between the, the appearance of drunkenness from alcohol and this overflow of the Holy Spirit. And uh, it began to make sense as I looked this up. So the, the idea of alcohol, right, is that when I consume alcohol, I am being taken over by alcohol. So being a drunk is a surrendering of my control, right? Okay, it's a, this is a very specific, this is word specific. I want you to hear what I'm saying, okay? All right, Th this is a surrender. It's not that when I'm drinking alcohol, all of a sudden it just takes control. I am giving control to the alcohol. I am allowing it to take control. And so what, what do we do when we hear people who are drunks uh, or interacting with drunks, they'll say what? That's the alcohol speaking, right? 
right? Whatever the, the, the addict's thing is, that's just the drug speaking, that's the alcohol speaking, right? The thing that they have done what? That they are giving control over to because it has control. And this was brilliant of the Holy Spirit because this is something that every one of us gets because we have either experienced or we know people who are dealing with this, right? This idea of giving control over their own identity and person to something else, allowing something else to control you. And so what is, he, what is, what is the writer saying, right? This comparison to being drunk, right? The writers are saying here that you don't lose control, but you surrender it. And so the baptism is a positional work in which you are placed, right? You're placed, there's an indwelling. Watch this. The filling is an experiential work in which we participate, in which we give control over to. So when I move from the indwelling of the Holy Spirit to the filling of the Holy Spirit, the reason that Peter gets up and says they're not drunk, why? Because we have surrendered control to the Holy Spirit so that God can do a work right here, right now, in the miraculous, in the in the flow of a river that I can't do. No matter how hard I try, no matter how many creatives I bring into a room, no matter what type of props and explosions and thoughts I put out there, I can't do what the Holy Spirit can do if I surrender and say, Holy Spirit, just take this thing and make it happen. Speak and move. And so I, I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you to begin to take on that prayer identity and begin to pray and say, Holy Spirit, fill me. Fill me. You can pray that every single day. I pray it every time I get up to teach because I do not want to get up here and just, and, and just live in my own bubble, you know? I want the Word of God to be alive to the people of God. I want it to challenge us and change us. And we want the Holy Spirit to be an overflow in our lives, not this like, indwelled thing that we just we know exists but nobody else does now i'm going to have michael come and we're going to do something michael come and we're going to do something and i just want to give you an opportunity i'm not looking to create some moment where all of a sudden things get really weird okay all right uh, if anything happens, it should testify to us, not make us all sweaty on the inside. That's what Zoe says when he does something wrong. My son, he goes, I'm sweaty on the inside right now. <laughs> so, you know, we should be, it should be a place where the Holy Spirit is at work and, it is and he is testifying, right? There should be something happening in us. But here's what I want to do. I want to give you just a moment before you leave, distraction-free, in song. I want you to do this. If you're not a believer, right, I want you to consider, do you feel convicted right now? Do you, do you feel conviction of sin in your life? If you do, that's the work of the Holy Spirit. So ask the Lord to save you. Jesus says, if you'll believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved, right? You can be saved and the Holy Spirit can come and indwell in you. Now, if you are saved, right, and there is an indwelling and you know that you're saved, right, then I want to ask you during these few minutes, just begin to pray this simple prayer and just say, Holy Spirit, fill me. Holy Spirit, Allow me to be taken over by you. Have your way. So let's stand to our feet. We're going to take just a few moments. I want to invite you to do this. Prayer ministry teams are available in the back. If you want prayer, Scripture says allow the elders to, to come and lay hands on you. They want to pray with you. So make your way to the back for prayer. We'll be there to pray with you. But take a moment and just invite the Holy Spirit to do what only the Holy Spirit can do.